the night shift and coming off and driving home at seven o'clock in the morning. And there was a, a particularly treacherous curve on the road coming home. And I started drifting off, falling asleep, drifting off. Welcome to the Divergent Women Podcast, where we feature inspiring stories of first-generation women entrepreneurs who have broken barriers and defied the odds. I'm your host, Melissa Minchala. Today on Divergent Women, we are speaking with Linda Case. Linda is a coach, therapist, and financial planner. She has a personal story of financial transformation where she discovered that even though she had an advanced education in finances, financial literacy was not enough to overcome behaviors generated by financial trauma. As a result, she's on a mission to improve the lives of women and help them on a path of financial freedom. She employs a strategy of involving a three-step process of internal work, such as mindset shifting, the external work of financial planning, and energy work for rapid transformation of beliefs that lead to more empowering actions. She provides resources and courses that guide women to create a life of financial freedom. I'm so, so happy to um, speak with you uh, because, you know, it's a little when you hear that you, even though you had all this financial education, um, to hear that you you found that that was not enough to overcome uh, the financial trauma, I think maybe a lot of women well, maybe not relate, but probably find that interesting women who I've spoken to on this podcast who had financial trauma and didn't have financial literacy to learn that financial literacy is not going to really help you unless you have these other things. So we're going to talk about that. But I also really want to learn about your background. You have a very interesting story of how you got into this, into being a business owner. So why don't you tell me a little bit about what you were doing before Tell me a little bit about your background. Prior to going into business for myself, I was actually working in the nuclear chemistry field at Three Mile Island, which for those of us who are old enough to remember the accident, I came in as part of the cleanup operation. And back then that was definitely a male dominated field. And I kind of broke the barrier first on that one before breaking a barrier into being in business for myself. So I was working rotating shifts and working half my weekends, um, going to school part time to finish my bachelor's degree in business, and then also started family during that time. So I had a lot I was juggling. Um, and after a while, it got to be somewhat painful. <laughs> it, it, it does sound like you kind of put a lot on your plate. Yes. Yes. And I think as business owners, we tend to do that. We just keep piling it on and believing we can do it all. And I think that's really a woman thing also. We we pile it on without really understanding what we're doing because we sort of, we have all these passions and desires that we want. And we always have these things that are demanded of us and we just do. So yeah, we're fairly strong. Sometimes we underestimate ourselves and sometimes we also overestimate ourselves. So how did that go for you doing all of that? Well, to be honest, after a while, I, I found I was really being limited by it because, I mean, definitely part of who I am is a lifelong learner, and I was always seeking challenges and wanted to grow. So I 
even though I, I got the degree in business and I approached GPU nuclear at the time and said, hey, I would really like to get into another position and use my degree, they had me in a little box and they said, nope, you know, you're gonna stay here. We've got you fully trained. You're a senior nuclear chem tech and you know, that's it, you know, end of story. And I don't take well to being told no. But then the other thing too was the shift work was really getting to me. So the night shift and coming off and driving home at seven o'clock in the morning, and there was a, a particularly treacherous curve on the road coming home and I started drifting off, falling asleep, drifting off. And by, by that time, my daughter was like maybe a year or so old. And I said, wow, I need to like, I need to change. This is not gonna work. I wanna see my daughter grow up. And so I would say that was my change through pain. And when I think about, you know, I've had a couple changes as far as changing into different businesses over time. And I was just thinking about it today and, you know, before I got introduced to Joe Dispenza's work, and he had talked about you can either change through pain or you can pretty much change on your own and do it consciously without having to go through all this pain. So my third actual induction into a new business was, and I'm doing it now, is very conscious. The other two were through literal pain. Right, right. <laughs> I can't uh, yeah, I can't imagine how frightening that is to wake up and find yourself drifting onto a, you know, off a ledge. That is, wow. So you had this sort of flash of, I can't, this is just yeah. not sustainable. I, I need to, I need to see this child that I brought into this world through. So you, you had that moment. And so then what did you do next? So then I... I started searching like, and I didn't really have any guidance because back at that time, um, adult learners were were not common like they are today. And I had even approached um, Elizabethtown College and asked about internships and they looked at me like I had, you know, it was so strange, like, how could you be asking us that? So um, I jumped into the first thing, you know, without real guidance, I just dove in and that's part of me being a risk taker. Um, I was just like, oh, that sounds interesting. And my parents thought I was crazy to leave a really well-paid job because they were very much about security. And so I didn't really have a background that I ever understood what business was all about. But I think I jumped into it more out of like, I can't do what I've been doing. And it's like, this sounds good. And I had somebody that really seemed to believe in me. He's like, you can do this. You can make a hundred thousand a year. And this is 1989. And, you know, and I believe it kind of filtered into my subconscious mind and it was like, oh, this is possible. And I actually believed it, you know, and I thought, I don't know how, but I'm like, I'm going to trust this. And so that was the beginning of my journey into that. And, you know, when you work for an insurance company, you end up as you know, you were essentially running your own business. You like I hired telemarketers. I learned how to market. I had to learn all aspects of the business. I went out and leased an office. So it, it's not just a sales job. It's not like a corporate sales job. It's like, here you go, go make it happen. Right. So it's so interesting that you said that you believed it, especially in 1989. So to think about it, the $100,000 in 1989 was almost obscene wealth. And 
there was, if we think that there is a pay disparity between men and women now, it was far greater back then. So you had two things that really logically should not have made sense for you to believe that. But there was something that allowed you to believe it. Yesterday, I had a conversation with a woman, Jackie Stewart, and we were talking about this intuition and how so many entrepreneurs and especially women entrepreneurs lead with their intuition. They go with that. And to me, it is a form of faith where you have this blind faith. There's no reason for you to believe in 1989 in an industry that you know nothing about, you're going to be able to make $100,000. But it aligned so well with your intuition, your spirit that you said, this is a truth. And you went with it. And I, I'd like to add on to that too, because, um, and I thought to myself, well, I'm an introvert. And so how on earth am I going to do this? And so what I thought was, well, I'll, I'll put on workshops so I don't have to cold call. That was my like greatest fear of like having to pick up the phone constantly and like try to get people to say yes to me. So um, I said, well, then if I'm going to do public speaking, I actually have a fear of that too. So I better handle this. So my dad had been to a hypnotist to stop smoking. And so I got it in my head that it was like, oh, well, I could do that to go get over my fear of public speaking. So off I went, you know, found this, this woman and she was fantastic. And she sent me away and she taught me how to do self-hypnosis. So I would practice it every day for 30 days. And I, my little card said, I'm a great speaker. And then I had this thing where I did with my, I mean, I could still do it today and tell you one of the things she said is relaxation and positive thinking bring me the advantages that I desire. And when I say that I immediately like calm down, and that's how I could go on and present. And then she said to me, I'm going to give you a gift. And I was like, okay. And she handed me a card and she says, now I want you to read this. And it was, I make $100,000 a year. Now these two people aren't communicating. And I'm like, wow, okay. And I kind of just laughed. But I, I went with it because I was like, I was an open channel. I was like, this feels like an alignment. It isn't hurting anybody. And like, let's play with it. And let's go with it. Well, it was within two years, I was making $100,000 a year in, you know, a quiet woman that most men looked at and thought, oh, you'll never make it in this business. Like 90 some percent of people don't make it in this business, let alone a woman. That's amazing. That's a true testament to a couple of things, right? So to, to being a risk taker, which is a key feature in an entrepreneur, being a risk taker and being someone who is very open to listening to their intuition and following that. And one of the things that I believe is that, you know, when you follow your passion, the universe just opens doors for you. Just Absolutely. doors fly open um, as long as it knows that you are willing to do those things, to walk through the doors. So that's that's fascinating. I see it as we get this inspiration and people often wonder, well, what's my next step? And I'm like, let yourself be inspired. Like when you feel it like come upon you and it's like, this is what I need to do or this is who I need to talk to, follow that. All right. So you're at this insurance agency, you're fulfilling what now looks like a prophecy. <laughs> um, and then what happened? 
Oh, so then, you know, I continued to have children. And after the birth of my third child, and it was the winter of 1993, and it, literally she came home from the hospital with a little t-shirt that said blizzard baby, because it didn't stop snowing. It was just insane. But I was like, I can't keep this up anymore at the pace I was going. And so my sales kind of dropped off, my belief in myself. And, and this is the danger of like, you know, I wouldn't necessarily call that a trauma, but it was, you know, along those lines of like, there is just too much on my shoulders. So I did have to take a step back for about a year, but then I, I built up my confidence again. I worked for an actual property and casualty agency. And then I was approached by Nationwide Insurance to actually take over and build a large agency. And so I was back in business again. Wait, so you're working for, are you now a nine to fiver? Are you working no, for them? No, I own the business. Oh, okay, you own the business. I was an agency owner. So, you know, then I had the challenge of within two months, I had to open an office that they gave me parameters of like so many miles east and west of, you know, certain road to accommodate all these clients. And then I had to open the office, furnish it, get my PNC license, because I had been life insurance and investment, all that sort of thing before. And so it was like a lot of like moving parts, hiring employees, you know, it was, that was new to me, actual employees. I had had like contract workers before. So I got that up and running. I, I met all the goals. I owned the agency, but then the 2008 crisis, financial crisis happened and through just a series of both personal and financial issues related to Nationwide, without my knowledge, had this grand plan of they were gonna come in and take over a bunch of agencies because they were hurting. And I became one of the ones targeted. And I also had gone through uh, an unfortunate death of my fiance at the time. So I was really, once again, feeling like, whoa, like nothing is going so well in my life. So I ended up having to leave there. But one of the odd things was I got the message when I went to a bookstore and that was like a, a normal thing I would do with my children. And I was drawn to this one book. It said 48 days to the job you love. And I said, oh. <laughs> and that, that actually almost coincided perfectly with when I decided to leave there. After my divorce and I was in therapy with a psychologist and we got to talking and, and I said, you know, I always love clinical psychology and my parents steered me away from it. They said, you'll never make a living at it. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going for it. So boom, I got my extra undergrad credits in one summer, started August in the master's program, completed that in a year and three months and then started a PhD program also. So I was doing both at one time. I was running the agency. I had a really great office manager. And then I had started, you know, getting my experience and getting all my education in clinical psychology. So by the time the 48 days came around, I was ready to move into what I believed was my true calling was doing counseling. Wow. So Linda, you are always on the move. You are always, always, always moving. Until I get knocked down, which... But then you get up and then you keep going. <laughs> I know. But like, it's literally, okay, so another transition was when I moved to Philadelphia and I was uh, in a group practice over in New Jersey 
um, and just starting to build my own private practice. And then I was walking down the sidewalk one day to the coffee shop to do some work. And I moved over to let these two women walk by and my sandal got caught in a crack in the sidewalk. And I went over and broke my patella. So I couldn't walk. <laughs> I couldn't drive a car. And I was like, okay, God, if this is the plan for me. <laughs> God says, sit down, take a minute, breathe. Yes. It was like, you are now full-time in your own private practice. And my clients just literally showed up at my door. And there I was with my leg propped up. I couldn't drive. Nothing. That was God's way of saying, no, just one at a time. One at a yeah, time. <laughs> it, it was like, you know, I was kind of playing around with opening up my own practice. And, you know, that fear of like letting go of what's known. Um, because I've been through obviously a series of these things. But then I just had to have faith and trust. And everything grew and it literally happened a few months before the pandemic started. So there I was all set up, ready to go. And I was like, wow, thank you. Right. And see, there you go again. So you sort of are following, following, following. And in a way, I know it can sound cheesy and corny, but the universe provides, right? You were following your path. You were doing your thing. And the universe said, we're going to shut down the world, but don't worry, you'll, you'll be fine. Yeah, my business actually grew. It was like too much. <laughs> right. Oh, I mean, certainly during the pandemic, a lot of people needed. And I think some people who had needed it before the pandemic suddenly had the time and space and the awareness to say, yes, I, I think now I can do this. And so they were looking for help. So, And, you know, I think what also made a big difference and, and will going forward is the ability to have online therapy. You know, that before was, we had to get all kinds of special permission and like jump through hoops to be able to do it. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, here, everybody, you're free to do it. It has made such a difference. It was a good change in the industry for sure. And a long time coming. So that's great. So have you always been this sort of like a go-getter? And Yeah, I mean... People in school probably, they often thought I was very quiet and, but I was also probably one of the top students too. So I excelled academically and, and I started college when I was 16 years old. And, you know, that was, that's a whole other story, but, you know, I've always been driven by personal growth and learning. And I honestly don't see myself ever stop learning. I can't believe I'd ever take another full academic course and PhD in anything, but there's so much available today that between books and podcasts and, you know, online workshops that, you know, if you don't take advantage of it, well, then you're behind. Right, right. Oh, and there's so much opportunity to learn. And that's yet another trait of a, of an entrepreneur is that desire to keep learning, to always be learning. And especially in this technologically fast moving world, you have to keep learning or you get left behind very fast. But with all the information that's available out there, it's so easy to do. I remember before the internet was the way it is now, we had we would have these things. I don't know if they have them around the country. There was this catalog that would go around and they would have these workshops and they were like adult learning workshops that you could visit. I don't even they were called Apple something. So I'm assuming they're only New York, but that was the only way that you were going to learn that was not at a learning institution like a school or something. And now they don't exist anymore, but you hop on a YouTube or a webinar and you can learn anything you want whenever you want. It's a fascinating time that we live in right now. So you made all these different changes. I know the tipping point for you 
for leaving um, your your original career was that drift and your tipping point for leaving the insurance company was the financial crisis, a lot of personal crisis in my own life and, you know, being willing then to go full time with counseling. So then, and then the next one was the broken patella. <laughs> so all of these were pain. It changed through pain. So this time around, and, and I'm pretty immersed in Joe Dispenza's work. I've been to some of his advanced workshops. It's about changing very consciously and like realizing you don't have to change in pain. You can, you know, create it like in your imagination, visualize, meditate daily and let draw, literally magnetize these opportunities to you. So last year or so I was approached by Robin Thompson and at the time he was called the powerful practice and he only worked with psychologists and to build uh, learning centers and the idea was either you could cut back your hours tremendously if you chose to or you could expand exponentially and both of them sounded appealing to me and the other thing was too that I was thinking I still felt it was important to offer my services in person where there are plenty of therapists who say, no, I'm only doing online now, but I thought there's an opportunity out there for me to move. And I had this strong, and I still do have a strong desire to move from Philadelphia. I don't know where I might go, but I thought I need to create something that will allow me to pick up and move and you know, not just in this country, but I can see doing my work internationally and being able, I mean, eventually I want to be more on a speaking platform and then really dial in and create something that's going to really affect women's lives. I mean, I have a very general practice now and, and I love what I do, but I would like to become very, very specialized and less of a generalist. Got it. So yeah, well, hey, listen, if you see yourself going international, you will be going international. That's what I've learned so far. <laughs> so what were some of the challenges that you faced when you were making these shifts into these businesses? We have talked about this before. I mean, there's definitely discrimination against women, um, certainly not in counseling, but definitely in the insurance business. So I came up against that and I had to prove myself. And, you know, honestly, a lot of them talk about still doing business on the golf course, things like that, that we maybe don't relate to as much. And a lot of times we're not even invited to. And then if we are invited, we are treated differently. You know, we're, yes. we're not seen as someone who you can do business with. You're seen more as an opportunity for your liaison instead of an opportunity for business. I, I can understand how that was a problem. So I definitely, without going into any great detail, was approached multiple times and I felt it was, well, not just felt, it was absolutely sexual harassment that I had to deal with. Very unpleasant situations. But I also knew that if I talked about it, I believed I would be blacklisted. And that's, I guess, a challenge. You know, we, we aren't free to talk about things. And even when it happened to me at Nationwide, the district sales, the financial sales guy took me out and uh, was very inappropriate with me. And I thought, well, I was a single mom and I had three daughters at home. And I thought, 
if I say something, I, I could potentially lose everything. I, my first responsibility was to my children. So even though I, I went to my attorney, I reported it, and he encouraged me not to say anything. And looking back, I really believe I should have. I wish I'd had the courage to do that. And I would encourage women today to do that, to speak up, you know. But we didn't have the support for that necessarily no, back then. No, I think especially during my time and in my industry, you know, if I had said something, I would have been looked at like, you're overreacting or that's not really a problem, you know, something to that effect or they didn't mean what you think they meant. But the fact of the matter is that it hinders our ability to compete in the same way through no fault of our own, just because of the yeah. way that we are being perceived. And uh, so that's why I sort of come to this conclusion recently while I've been sort of reflecting on my own career, that the business world was not meant for us, was not built with us in mind, and we are barely tolerated in it. So, um, which is why I love speaking to all these women who are looking to service specifically other women, because I feel like that's fine. It doesn't have to be for us. We'll just create something for ourselves and we'll be fine. We are a majority of the population. We too have money. We'll be fine. Even though I had a degree in business, there's so much more that you don't know that of a lot of trial and error, you know, a lot of throwing money at things and not sure if they're going to work or not. And then, then all the rapid changes too with technology. I mean, today, as most of us are facing, you know, learning how to create videos, how to do that, you know, is just like, wow, never did I imagine these are the things I would be doing. Whereas, you know, I heard my mother way back and she said, I'm not learning the computer. Well, let, cause she was the head of the business department and she had her teachers under her and she said, they'll have to learn it. And she was very resistant to change. She was for many years confused by me. <laughs> She's like, what are you doing? You know, you're jumping here, there and everywhere. Don't you want security? You know, you left this job, then you left this job. And even I had a woman, the head of the chemistry department at Three Mile Island say to me when I told her I was leaving, she says, you're never going to make as much money as you do here. Now, how supportive is that? You know, they can't see the big picture. They, you know, that's what entrepreneurs and business owners really need to just, they are big picture people generally. And they're like, nobody's going to tell me, no, you're going to not going to put a limit on me. So we are the ones putting the limits on ourselves. And, you know, I've done this myself, of course, you know, and then I get pushed down and then I put the limits there. And I said, like, whoa, wait a minute, this isn't who I am. Let me open up again. Let me believe in possibilities. And that's where I think a lot of the spiritual work comes into play. And when I think it's so incredibly important in my program that people embrace that and make a daily practice of it because it makes all the difference. You know, Neville Goddard's work is using your imagination and you know, it's not about religion. And when he talks about the Bible and the characters in it and, and saying Christ is your own wonderful human imagination and don't give your power away to something else. Like don't give your power away to astrology or numerology or you know, else is out there saying, we know how to tell you what's going to happen in your life. No, 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 no. You do. Like we were talking your intuition. When you tap into that, you trust that 
and you know exactly what you want. So we can't be vague, you know, as business owners, we have to like get dial in, get really clear. This is what I want to create. And that's when the things start to open up and start flowing to you. Right, right. I was brought up a Catholic and it's a lot of, you know, don't ask a lot of questions, just have faith, just have Mm -hmm. faith. And faith means don't ask anything because we're not going to explain anything. Just believe because we said so. I understand faith, but I understand faith in oneself. Like you said, that energy within you, the Christ within you, whatever, that higher being within you. Because, you know, we have this person who we are in a daily life where we have to decide what flavor coffee do I want today? What am I going to wear today? Those are you on a daily life. But then you have this inner you who is kind of thinking on a, on a higher level and making these other choices and these other things. And that intuition, that's where you have that blind faith in, because once you start to apply logic to it, it all falls apart because it's not meant for that part of the world. It's meant for this part of the world. You know, the soul is, is what we're talking about and that's connected and it's eternal and it has access to the quantum field and all the answers are out there and you just have to tap in, you know, get quiet. And that's the process. You don't need an hour a day to meditate. Really, you don't. I mean, and I've heard anywhere between three minutes to 20 minutes is more than enough. But it's just allowing things to come to you instead of forcing things in your life. Because the more we try to make these things happen, the more disasters we create. And, you know, and I I've, I've certainly have those experiences in my life. So it's like learn your lessons and stuff. <laughs> So I I really do think in general, a lot of people are coming back to spirituality. Spirituality also just tends to make more sense as well for a lot of reasons. So, Um, all right. So you've done all these things. And one of the things that I find that's also common in business owners, and I haven't met a business owner yet that hasn't told me this is true for them as well, but owning a business because you do not have any other peers when you are the owner and especially when you are the sole person, you're the you know head cook and bottle washer, it can be a sort of isolating experience because especially it's your big idea. You're the one sort of managing all the emotions, you're managing all the, the gears and it can be isolating. Did you feel isolated through any of this and how did you sort of manage that? Oh, absolutely. Um, and, and going way back, we'll say to 1989-90, I was working from home. So I had a small child at home. I was literally operating out of my dining room. And I said, you know what? I've got to get out there. I've got to have a whole different mindset. And so I approached an architect who owned a building over in Camp Hill, which was my, my territory at the time. And it was a really cool Tudor office building. And I said, look, I don't have a lot. He put me in this space for $250 a month. But to me, it was like, take myself out of the home and I'm placing myself here. I'll have people, other business owners right on the same floor with me. And and then I'll just run out and do my sales appointments. And it was magical. I mean, my business just kept growing and I felt like part of the world then. So I think placing yourself out into the community, getting involved with groups, because, yeah, we can't do it alone. And, you know, whether it's seeking out new ideas and friendships, you know, you can either decide to stay isolated or you can open yourself up and ask for help. 
And again, that's hard for a lot of women. It was for me too. So in all these endeavors of yours, what would you say was your greatest setback or failure that you might've had? And what did you do to sort of recover from it? Probably the greatest one was when I left Nationwide because I was just hit with so many things at one time between my fiance dying and losing my home, losing the business. And I was just crushed. Um, And I didn't know how I was going to come back from that. So it took a lot of tapping into the whole spiritual belief system and really growing myself in that way to access what was the real potential for me to see it more as this needed to transform. I've been resisting and that's why essentially the universe came in and said, okay, this is not where you belong and you're going to have to trust. And (laughs) it was painful. It was downright painful, you know, and I was worried a lot, but it was a gradual growing process. And I think that's what's going to lead me to to help so many women is that I've been through it. You know, I'm, I'm not here as like, oh, I did everything right and you should just follow my little program. No, I, I learned through disasters and multiple ones that, you know, sometimes change needs to happen and we need to just accept that. And we don't know what it's going to look like. We don't know the how. You know, and that's not our job to know how, but to trust and to follow those guidance steps. Just ask one day at a time, what's my next step? And then reach out for help, you know, whether it's spiritual help or a therapist or, or, you know, something that if you're in a real crisis, whether it's, you know, depression, anxiety, whatever you're going through, a divorce, maybe, you know, all kinds of major traumas that people experience, bankruptcies, and to know that there is a light at the end of the tunnel that this isn't the rest of your life and you have to like tap into what am I thinking at this time and really challenge those thoughts and that's what I had to do is like whoa you know this is not the path you want to be thinking on you know this is not who you are so you get back to like you know who you are and like bring that out again. So it sounds like what you're saying is that when you do experience a failure or a really down point in your life, it's important to sort of remember, like you said, this is not the rest of your life. It's just a flash of time. And to remember where it is that you're headed and remember to keep going towards that light at the end of the tunnel. And then to realize there's going to be a time when you can look back and you can see the gift in all of it. And I can do that today. And it's like, would I want to be that person again? Would I still want to be that person? Absolutely not. And as painful as it was, I mean, that's kind of like how things develop. Like you put them through the fire, right? You burn off what's not good. And like you're left with this beautiful creation. And that's, I think, how our lives evolve. And we move to different levels. So I have this thing that I tell my kids since they were little. And it's been tested. It has been tested over time. But, you know, whenever they have gone through their lows. I always tell them everything's always going to be okay. No matter what it is, everything is always going to be okay. It may not be today, tomorrow, maybe a while, but it will always be okay. 
I don't know how comforting it is to them, but to me, it's the rock solid truth. And as a parent, or if you're a mentor to somebody, that's like what I would call holding space for it. It's like, you may not believe it today, but I'm going to believe it for you. And we do that with Psych K, um, which is my energy psychology tool. And there's a, a special Alaskan name. I won't use that, but it's like holding the space, um, you know, because we take people from these beliefs and we quickly transform them. You know, and it's what we do is look at your life today. What don't you like going on in it? That's going to tell us what you've been believing. That's what you've been creating. Okay, what would you like differently? And then we create a goal statement around it. So it's got to be the person's own words to make it meaningful to them. And I think, too, learning all these tools, could I have come through that quicker? Possibly. I didn't have those tools back then. And, and so now that's a big part of my program. And I don't think any financial planner is out there using these. I'm kind of a unique um, bird with that one. <laughs> So, you know, I want to ask you, you mentioned financial trauma in your description. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how you managed to heal the financial trauma? Yeah, the financial trauma was losing my business. So that was, a, you know, a large income because I, I was just so worn down. They were literally coming. In fact, this is how it happened. They came after so many agencies because they needed to take over the money. And I found out a few years later through a, a friend of mine who was also in the business. And he's like, Linda, you got to see this article. And I'm like, what? This woman who had been an agent at the same time as me, they had done the same thing to her. And she actually took them to court. And they originally awarded her $40 million. It was a real thing. And I was like, wow. So honestly, part of my healing came through that. And it's because I said, oh, they were targeting us. It wasn't that I was doing anything wrong. First of all, I was an agency owner and they came in and wanted to micromanage me. And I was so weak at the time from having gone through these personal traumas that I just like, I don't know what to do. So yeah, a huge healing came because I shifted my belief. It was like, Linda, you did nothing wrong. Like they were out to get people. And they wanted their money. And it was like, totally shifted me to like, oh, because when we have the shame and that's what these financial traumas instill, I had to release that shame. And that's the big way I did it. So the shame was having lost the money? Having lost it and not being able to maintain that and be there for my family. And I just like fell apart. So... Yeah, you know, that's what I work with a lot with people, like the shame usually around things. Like one of my clients um, has literally lost over $100,000 through gambling apps. And, you know, a lot of shame involved with that one, but a lot of like digging around there and finding out what happened. You know, what kind of things were you thinking about? Like what emotions were driving you? So when I apply that to my own self, whatever I'm going through, that's how you release then, you know, and then install some new beliefs. So now what do you want to create? Right. So that's incredible because I can see how some people don't maybe wouldn't even want to acknowledge the shame and would just sort of wither within themselves uh, with that shame, because there is such a high value, especially in our society 
with sort of image. What's your standard of living? You know, and in some places it's what are you driving? Where do you live? What are you wearing? Things like that. And now in this Instagram world, it can be very dangerous for people who may have that shame to then see either friends or peers of theirs who are in, you know, living their best supposed life one picture at a time, and it may impose even more shame on them. So it's very good to hear that it has a name. I don't think they may not even recognize what it is. It has a name. It is shame. It is because of financial trauma, and it is redeemable. You can overcome it, and and everything will always be okay. Right. Um, so looking back on your journey as a first-generation entrepreneur, what advice would you give to women who want to start? I'd say really get to know yourself, know your strengths, know your weaknesses, and recognize you can't do it all. So don't be afraid to ask for help. And also plan to invest in your business. I think too many people, you know, kind of hold back and they're fearful of putting money into things. I mean, I saw that over the years as I watched other people in business and they'd say, well, why to me, why, why are you spending all that money on like a marketing plan? Well, why wouldn't I like, I want to grow my business. So you have to be willing to both invest in your business and in yourself. So you want to grow yourself personally, be taking the courses. And, and that today doesn't even necessarily mean having to pay a lot of money because so much is available on YouTube and, and all these other venues that you can you know, really teach yourself so many things. And to be that constant learner, to always keep up with what's going on and stay connected, get your network, get your community of like-minded people who will be there to support you and not judge you, you know, things like that. And to really maintain faith. That's so incredibly important. Years ago, you know, when I I worked for Lutheran Brotherhood, where I did extremely well with insurance, and they were considering me for management. And some of the feedback that came back to me was they were really impressed with my faith. And I, you know, back then, I didn't think a whole lot about it. But today, it's like, wow, you know, and I thank my father for that, too, uh, as a Lutheran minister, and he was a very spiritual man. And And I remember I went to a a job interview once and I came back and I called him and he said, but how did it feel? Like he knew, and it was actually a horrible interview. And I felt so stressed out when I left there, but I got the job offer and I felt I needed a job at that time. That was one of those periods. And I didn't tell the truth. And sure enough, everything fell apart because the woman that was training me was actually had legal problems and, um, they took her away <laughs> right in front of me. <laughs> so it was like, clearly the interview was telling me it didn't feel good. And so huge lesson, huge, huge, huge is like, trust that gut. It's like, it's there to give you a message and you better pay attention to it. Like whether it's, should I take this person on as a client or should I hire these people to do marketing for me? It's like, step back and really listen to that and trust it. You don't need to rush into anything. All great advice, especially, you know, I I agree with you on the faith thing. Have faith in yourself, that blind faith in yourself. Be well connected to who you are. 
So do you have anything that you'd like to share with our audience? Any offers or? Well, I do have my online group coaching program designed specifically for women to put them on a path to financial freedom with three steps. And we're pretty much looking at 90 days from where you are today, you know, uncover these underlying limiting beliefs that you have, and then also transform them and put together your plans. So we connect with a program that's called WiseFi. And, you know, if you have a, have a debt issue, we get you in a 30-day program and I turn that all around and keep that going. And so you'll get a chance to see your debt freedom number and your financial freedom number. And that is incredible because it just shows you as you change your behaviors, you can like literally plug things into the app as you're doing them. You'll watch that number come down and it's so motivating. So it's not just, you know, believing, it's seeing, it's seeing the results and it doesn't have to take you 30 years to get there. It's like you can condense time and space. And that's what's so cool about the quantum. (laughs) (laughs) So they can find me at f3-cubed.com and email me Linda at f3-cubed.com. I'd be happy to have like a 15 minute introductory call for free. Excellent. And this, of course, will all be in the show notes for our listeners. Um, and thank you so much, Linda, for joining us today. It was so fun talking to you and and really making that connection between the heart and the path and financial freedom, which I think uh, a lot of our listeners would be very happy to hear as well. Thank you so much and catch us next time. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Divergent Women. We hope you find inspiration, motivation, and a renewed sense of empowerment as we explore the incredible journeys of our guests. These remarkable first-generation women entrepreneurs show us what it means to break the mold, defy expectations, and create businesses that make a lasting impact. We invite you to continue on this journey with us as we bring you more captivating stories of resilience, determination, and triumph. Stay tuned for future episodes where we delve deeper into the challenges and triumphs faced by women in entrepreneurship, providing valuable insights, practical advice, and a supportive community. Remember, you're not alone on this path. Divergent Women is here to celebrate your uniqueness, embrace your ambitions, and empower you to navigate the entrepreneurial world with confidence and race. Together, we can rewrite the narrative, shatter glass ceilings, and inspire a new generation of trailblazing women. Make sure to subscribe to Divergent Women on your favorite podcast platform so you never miss an episode. And if you enjoyed today's show, we would greatly appreciate your support by leaving us a review and sharing this podcast with fellow entrepreneurs and aspiring business owners. Until next time, keep embracing your uniqueness, chasing your dreams, and making waves in the world. This is Melissa Minchala signing off from Divergent Women. Stay fierce, stay fearless, and keep breaking those barriers.